Hello and welcome to another episode, another interview of Wannabe Entrepreneur. Today I have with me Anthony Castrio, the founder of Indie Worldwide. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Glad to be yeah. here. It's, it's my pleasure. Super excited to learn more about you. We were just quickly chatting off the record and I was already having so many questions about your uh, nomadic lifestyle. And um, Anthony is the founder of uh, Indie Worldwide, which is a community for uh, bootstrapped founders and indie makers around the world. This In this community, there are meetups, there are events, there's a huge Slack community. And it definitely caught my attention because it's somehow similar also to our uh, wannabe entrepreneur space. So... I want to kind of compare notes with you and uh, also learn more about uh, yeah your journey as an entrepreneur. So I'm super, super excited. And um, yeah, to start things off, I would like to ask you, Anthony, to introduce yourself to the listeners, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, my name is Anthony, Anthony Castrillo. Um, been nomadic for the last three years. I'm currently based in New York City. And I've been working on Indie Worldwide for a lot of that time, so like two and a half years. It started pretty simple, and it's grown a bit since then. So, <laughs> engineer by by trade, software engineer, um, mm-hmm. American, but lived a, a through the nomading. I've lived a lot of time uh, abroad. I I definitely want to learn more about the, the journey to build Indie Indie Worldwide, especially in this nomadic lifestyle. But um, I want to first to know about your entrepreneurial background. Like, when did it start? I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like, I think in preschool, they're like, what do you all want to be? I said, uh, entrepreneur. I could barely spell it, but I wanted my name on the side (laughs) of the bus. It's a hard word to Uh, spell. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, I'll be a businessman. I'll do business. And I started reading about business, business and things like that really early on, like 12 or 13, I was reading all these business books trying to figure out what okay. I wanted to do and internet forums and things like that. But nothing I really tried at the beginning like worked out. Like I tried to grow and sell um, like Snapdragon plants, flowers. Okay. I tried, that didn't work. I think I might've sold one to my grandma. <laughs> I tried to like start an e-commerce business. Uh, start try to several things that just kind of like went nowhere. Um, but kind of before college, I was noticing that the businesses I thought were cool and the entrepreneurs I thought were interesting were all software businesses started by software engineers. And mm-hmm. so I decided, oh well, um, if I'm going to college anyway to make my parents happy, let's study software engineering. Um, because that seems to be like the way yeah. to go. It's and funny that so, you shape your yeah. career based on becoming an entrepreneur. It's normally, I guess, the the people I've interviewed and even myself, it starts always with an idea. So you have an idea and you're like, okay, I want to build it. But not with already the idea of having entrepreneurship as a career. So what, what actually inspired you to follow that? I don't know what inspired it per se, but it's the only thing thing that was like consistently interesting to me to do everything else felt like um a waiting game before i could do that so but did you felt yeah did did you like because i guess there's not i don't know growing up we get our inspiration based on i guess uh our family or 
cartoons or something we see around us. Is there someone in your life uh, that uh, is also an entrepreneur, someone that uh, would inspire you to follow this path? Um, at that age, not really. My dad is very entrepreneurial. Um, okay. He's a school counselor, but he's also started a micro brewery and distillery in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. um, Argyle Brewing Company, if you're ever up that far, is very good. Okay. <laughs> uh, but he wasn't doing that when I was growing up. and um, So I, I don't know if I could attribute that urge to him, maybe yeah. genetically. Yeah, maybe it's yeah, it's very interesting to to see that you have this idea of entrepreneurship already so young. You know, um, do you have like any idol, <laughs> like any entrepreneur idol that you look up to now? Um, right now, there's several. I like what Peter Levels is doing, the like business and lifestyle he's designed for himself. Obviously, I think Cortland Allen's pretty cool, but not necessarily trying to emulate. Um, What do you like and, about Peter Levels? Um, so what I really like about Peter Levels is he's created a, an empire map. So he's created um, a system of like properties that all reinforce each other and are like interdependent, but also um, each one makes the other ones better, right? So he's got, if you're not familiar with Peter Levels, right? He's yeah, the founder of Nomad List, a mm -hmm. giant community and website for nomads. That's right. I wonder how I found out about him, right? So yeah, <laughs> he's got the Nomad List website, which has got all kinds of uh, SEO benefits. It's got a really huge SEO footprint. He's got the Slack community. Um, he has a separate website for remote jobs called Remote OK. Um, mm -hmm. He's got like uh, a website about rating neighborhoods, but the theme with all of his with many of his businesses is that they all support like nomads and they, yeah. they're all kind of interdependent and inter they promote each supporting. other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The job board posts automatically to the Slack, right? The community makes sure there's data for the list. The list finds new people to begin with. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of sketch uh, a picture of all this, right? Like you could put it on paper and draw lines between them all and show how they all support each other. Yeah. And, I think it's really interesting. Disney actually does something very similar where every Disney property supports the other Disney properties, right? So like the theaters, the, the like movies support the parks. Um, the parks are like selling merchandise. True, yeah, yeah. Um, if you go to the park, you're much more likely to go see the next movie that comes out. Right. And like, yeah. maybe you're going to also get into the comics or the TV shows. And like they've built probably the ultimate, um, media empire by, buying all these properties or creating all these properties that uh, support each other. So it started with That's Disney creating properties, yeah. right? But now it's Disney buying properties. Like they'll buy um, 21st Century Fox or they'll buy Marvel yeah. or whatever. They're not necessarily But, it, but it's anymore. funny because Disney, they kind of gathered two different, completely different businesses, right? So you have the theme parks and then you have movies and yeah. the Peter Levels kind of, it's the same scope, right? All of these are digital products that he built, and mm -hmm. uh, I I totally see how how this makes sense. Especially after a couple of months in the bootstrapping world, you kind of start in one thing, but you rarely end up doing what you started with. You kind of always you start with one thing, and then you see oh, there's a possibility for this, 
okay, let's do it as well. And then, oh, there's a possibility for that. Okay, let's do it as well. And then everything, it, it's the same with my podcast. I started with the podcast. Then I saw that there's a possibility of creating maybe a community. Then I saw that there's a possibility of creating virtual offices. So all of this kind of points to each other. Is that a, something that especially happens to bootstrappers? Um, well, no, you just gave the example of Disney, which I guess they are not bootstrappers. Um, is it a good marketing technique to, to do this? Um, I think it is. I think the idea is like, if all these things are like kind of in the same realm on the same audience, then every attempt, every just attempt builds your reputation for yeah. that audience, right? True. Um, and builds your You're just building list. for the same audience, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes, makes total sense. Do, do you think uh, Peter Levels would be able now to build something in a completely different audience? Because sometimes I think, okay, was he just lucky? Because it seems so easy. Every time he speaks, when, when I hear his interviews, uh -huh. I, I try to get him in the show as well, but I think it's barely impossible. But uh, I see his interviews, it seems so simple. It's like, ah, I did this, then I built it, and then that's then I shared it on uh, whatever, Brother Hunt, bam. I was like, that's not how it happens to me. I build it, I share it on a product hunt, and then get almost zero users. So was it like, do you think it was lucky? Would he be able to reproduce this now in a different audience? Well, it wasn't an instant hit, remember? Like, he had several tries first that didn't work out. Um, I think Nomadless was like his third or fourth. Right. And then the other thing is, uh, possibly, yes, but he'd lose his advantage, right? Like, his home field advantage is building things for nomads, travelers, and he's found a way to increase the scope of what that means, right? Like, now yeah. he's offering uh, to connect you with lawyers to help with immigration, right? He's got rebase. Right. It's in the same realm, but it's a bigger, uh, more lucrative buy. So I think that um, he could find other places where the same approach works, uh, but why would he, you know? Right. Right, right. No, it 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 uh, makes little sense. And another thing that I've learned is it's really important to f do something in kind of following your passion, right? So, if you love being a digital nomad, doing something for digital nomads comes much easier because, first of all, you have the motivation and you have the experience. Is that also what happened to you uh, with uh, Indie Worldwide? Like, did you start? your nomadic life and then came up with idea yeah exactly so the nomading came first in indie worldwide indie worldwide really came out of that um i've been traveling around um wanting to meet bootstrappers wherever i was so i was starting these these indie hacker meetups um i started one in medellin that was pretty big um i started one help start one in a few cities like mexico city i think um, dc boston and um but i'd only usually be there about a month or two and then i'd move mm -hmm. on uh to a new city and kind of leave those friends behind and it was difficult to keep in touch right our friendship was based around this like physical meetup um and so i was actually talking at the time a lot with the indie hacker folks so in Cortland and um uh, I think it was Kelsey or something like that who was who were kind of thinking they were also thinking about meetups and okay. um, we were brainstorming things and one of the things that we brainstormed was a virtual meetup so I started indie hackers like vertical bar worldwide 
which was just a monthly Zoom chat. Anybody could find it and hop on and we would talk about bootstrapping stuff. Mm-hmm. People liked it, so I kept doing it. Um, <laughs> we eventually added like a Facebook group to it. Now we're on Slack instead. Kind of grew over time. Eventually, kind of hit a critical mass where there was maybe a couple hundred people paying attention, and I launched the first um, like indie worldwide product, which is Founders mm-hmm. Club. So and, up until now, everything was for free. The meetups were for free. The Slack channel were, was free. Yeah, everything was free. Everything is still mostly free. Um, and even when we launched um, Founders Club, which is it's like if you've ever used Lunch Club, it's a lot like Lunch Club, but only for indie hackers. So, right. It's like once a week you get introduced over email to somebody who I think you'd want to meet. That was free, too, <laughs> until people were like, uh, hey, this is actually good. You should. Can I pay you for it? It's <laughs> <Like, laughs> amazing when someone asks you, can I pay it for it? That's what you want to hear, right? Sure. Yeah, that's what you want to hear. So I've got a couple of people were like, yo, this has been actually very useful. Um, let me let me pay for the value I got. I was like, well, that's crazy. What? Charge people? Yeah, all right. We'll try it. How were you making money until then? I was freelancing and also my by living in lower cost of living countries for the most part, my expenses were also quite low. Right. So I'd freelance like I call it quarter time. So like half time for like half the year. Um, and that more than cover my living expenses most years. So you would freelance from uh, from like what the the states, and then go around, or you just wherever just... I was. Okay, because freelancing was also virtual. So I was as a software freelancing before right? I even started nomading mm-hmm, as a software developer. So very portable. Right, right, right. My first client I had before I started nomading um, that ended that was kind of an in-person freelancing gig in san francisco where i lived for like a year once it ended i was like oh i don't need to live in expensive san francisco anymore and i started finding remote opportunities and just tried to make enough each year that i wasn't losing money right and you you just mentioned you you lived in san francisco how was Mm -hmm. it (laughs) what is the because it's the kind of the capital of entrepreneurship right did you feel like that is it is it place for bootstrappers um at the time it definitely felt like a a capital of entrepreneurship there was everybody was working on startups i was working briefly at a startup there um it was exciting place to be all my friends were talking about entrepreneurship all the time that got actually pretty boring i got so like bored of talking about tech uh all the time that (laughs) and uh really is it why why would you get bored is it something that you're I mean, you're building a product for indie hackers, right? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it all the time, though, you know. It's like, <laughs> Where uh, are your other hobbies? I like studying languages. I okay. like tennis. Recently got into bouldering, like rock climbing. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> it's very trendy, nice. I think. Now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It seems like everybody is... Suddenly the there's gym. boulder dreams opening everywhere and <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it's fun. Languages, what language? How many languages do you speak? The only language I've learned to anything close to fluency besides English is Spanish. Oh, cool. Um, I've dabbled with a few others, but I won't even mention them because they mm. might force me to say something and <laughs> <laughs> not confident <laughs> only the curse words. <laughs> conversation. Exactly. It's funny that you mentioned it because as um, I love speaking about entrepreneurship. I, I know sometimes it gets a bit too much, but sometimes I feel that 
people might might be you know tired and bored of hearing me speak about new projects and something like that it's, it's funny that you don't you don't feel that way and that you also like uh i just found you got where my it, limit yeah. was and the limit was like 24 hours a day <laughs> so yeah. now i still spend a lot of the day talking about entrepreneurship right it's not too. the whole day yeah. and the other thing about san francisco is any random person you meet is likely to also be working in tech and only want to talk about tech things right 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 and so it feels that for me at least it felt it just got kind of boring it's like i don't want to be i never liked to be um one of the crowd uh, and in san francisco i felt uh like part of the crowd in that way yeah funny I, if there's everybody's doing one thing then i kind of want to do something else you know yeah i got it i, I think it's you know that's being an entrepreneur somehow it's it's funny because i'm always trying to find what's the definition and why do people want to be entrepreneurs and a lot of them say in the you know financial independence being my own boss but in reality what we want to do is to create our own thing you know yeah uh, it, it's fun to work for others and work in other exciting startups but in the end it's not your creation so you're not special, right? Like, do we all want to just be special? Is that something like, common in, among entrepreneurs? Likely, right? I think <laughs> for me, yes. Um, there's a much faster path to financial independence or a much more guaranteed path than entrepreneurship. Yes. If, you yes. Will, if you have the skills to start a business, most of the time you're pretty employable. Go work at Fang for like five years. And not even an exaggeration, five years, if you can save aggressively, you will, and then move to a lower cost of living area, you can pretty much retire. But having left no mark on the world, I guess. But hey, then you have the whole rest of your life to do that. So it's not a. a hey, you design plan. a button for Facebook. <laughs> yeah, here's a million dollars for designing one button for Facebook yeah. in your career. <laughs> That's what you've and done. Now go, go live the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Like you know, I was living in in Germany before, and uh, even though the salaries are lower than, of course, San Francisco, the cost of living is also definitely lower. You know, I thought, okay, imagine that you are making, I don't know, eighty k uh, in, in Germany. That's a good good salary, or in Europe, eighty k a year. It's really hard to get this from your business. Like growing a business to pay you this salary. It's absurd, you know, it's not easy. And a lot of people say like, ah, oh, being an entrepreneur, I can make money. Well, can you? You know, it's not it's not that easy to reach these these levels, I would say. Yeah. The fastest way to get there with your own business, if the goal is just to be your own boss, is I would say freelancing. Yeah. Um, you can jump straight not, to you know a good salary. Yeah. What do you feel about freelancing? I like it for several reasons and hate it for others. I like um, working with other people, also working on cool things. So I usually consult for early stage startups. Um, I feel like it keeps me sharp and mm -hmm. has made me a better engineer. Obviously, I like the that is fairly lucrative. Um, you can make a lot of money freelancing. Right. But you're not special, right? You're not doing your own thing somehow yeah it's um you're not building a product right so like your your labor is going into this other person's startup which is which can be rewarding i think at the the reason i stick with the very early stage consulting is i do get some of that mm. fulfillment that i'm looking for mm. i'm usually working on a product um that's barely more than an idea sometimes right. it's just an idea and then i help you figure out what to build and build it 
um, that's pretty satisfying. And then sometimes they it goes farther, it's like help them build a team to build the thing, which is right. also pretty satisfying. So it gives so me you, some exposure to what the yeah, it's, that's my foray into like the venture high growth world. Is um, I guess the cool kids are calling it fractional CTO now. It's like I come in and I'm I'm your CTO for hire for as long as you need me. Oh, I'm definitely not a cool kid because I've never heard of that. <laughs> I you know I only heard about it recently, so I don't think I'm a cool kid either. <laughs> and my main takeaway from learning that phrase was I should charge more money. <laughs> <laughs> you just change your resume to fractional CTO and suddenly your hourly rate. That's exactly what I've done. I looked at the things a fractional CTO does versus the things I do. And it's it was one to one match. <laughs> there was no difference. So now I'm a fractional CTO and my rates are uh, doubled. <laughs> how do you find your uh, customers actually? I have found them recently, it's through like um, network. So. My current client I'm working for was a reference from the last client I worked for, right. which was a reference from a friend. Um, and I guess uh, Indie Worldwide also helps you to get these connections, no? I think it keeps me top of mind. I haven't have I found any gigs directly through Indie Worldwide. Not okay. really. I usually tend to pass those on to someone else just because I usually only ever work with one startup at a time. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I think if I was ever in a position now where I didn't have a gig and I wanted a gig, uh, I'd probably be able to find one pretty quickly mm -hmm. with the help of Indie Worldwide. Yeah, makes sense. So so going back to our storyline there with the Indie Worldwide. So you decided to, you have your Slack channel, you launched Founders, Founders Club. That in the beginning was not paid. People started to ask if they could pay for it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, So tell me what, what happened there. Like, how did you find a price? And tell me the next steps there. Yeah. So I think the first couple people who told me to pay them or told me to charge them were uh, Drew Riley, so Trends.VC, and uh, Mark, aka Judo Hacker, who runs Power Importer, which okay. is useful if you're uh, using Webflow. Mm -hmm. And. So I was like, eh, how much should I charge or whatever? I think the first... So people with money, right? Yeah, they they were, they both... I, I, like, Drew hadn't really started Trends VC at that point. Or, no, it had just been starting, and it was starting to grow. So he was starting to make money there. Mark hadn't launched Power Importer yet. I think he was... Is or was um, at a full-time job still, but they were saying, like, this is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, right. The, so, the reason I why I ask is is because normally bootstrappers they don't have any money, right? So spending mm -hmm. whatever one year or two years is already too much. Uh, but these were people that kind of had an income that somehow could spend. Right? Yeah, and they also understood the value of uh, like paying for things that you want to stick around, right? right? Like if you want an indie business to survive, it needs to be making money somehow. And I think they, they liked it and they wanted it to, to not go away once I needed right. to make money. Oh, that's it's a very, very interesting argument there. Not a lot of people have that mindset. It's interesting. Um, it's maybe a benefit of building for other entrepreneurs yeah. who get mm -hmm. it because they understand that um, totally, you yeah. should pay for value. So, yeah, for, from there I decided um, to start charging people. <laughs> uh, I think right before everyone, I, everyone did you like 
No, I was like, hey, if you want to, you can pay me. Otherwise, it'll be free for you since you signed up with the expectation that it will be. And then um, how much? I launched it on... So first I decided I'm going to charge. Then before I started charging, though, I think I launched on Product Hunt first. Okay. Uh, it did like mediocre. I think it might have been like top five, like number five. Well, um, good. <laughs> that so works. that got like a boost. So then it had about 100 or so free members, and then I started charging. I think we initially were charging like, I don't know, 40 bucks, and that's for like a year. Wow. <laughs> and then um, uh, now it's up to 120 a year, and we're probably going to double that like in a month. Uh, to so, like but is it still free? Can people still join this uh, Founders you Club still, for free? You can't join Founders Club for free anymore. Um, you cannot. With okay. the, yeah, the only time we give out free passes now is like giveaways or like grants. Mm -hmm. um, so I just ended one on Twitter where uh, people like nominate their friends and I try to pick four people who are mm -hmm. doing what I think are really interesting things right, and right. would be uh, a net gain to the group even if they were free. So I bring them in. And there's a lot of marketing benefit to that too, right? Because a lot of people hear about it. Uh, but right. yeah, if barring that, um, which is only like f four people or so, you just pay. It's super cheap right now. It's way underpriced. Yeah, uh, it's definitely. $120 for, for a year. So yeah. like 10 bucks a month. Yeah, I totally agree. It's cheap. You know, my, my community, um, which is... I call it the virtual corking space for bootstrappers. And it started really nice. Also, it started with my podcast with people joining for free. Basically, everyone I interviewed, I gave them access. Then I realized mm -hmm. that this was actually a valuable place. And then I started, you know, charging people to to start to join. And it, it's uh, it's currently four, four euros, but a lot of per, per month, which is, again, not mm -hmm. very few. But a lot of people still ask me, to at least try to have a trial period, you know, so a place so that they can try for free. Um, is it the same for you? Well, so you can still join our Slack for free. That's for free. The monthly meetups we do, those are currently still free. Um, I think we're going to experiment with them not being free, but right now they're free. Okay. Uh, so like 90% of what we do is still free. Um, you just get a lot of value out of Indie Worldwide mm -hmm. without ever p paying me any money. Um, the only thing that's paid is the matching and access to the startup benefits now. So mm -hmm. we have a program, we have partnerships with like Stripe and AWS and things like that. So if you pay for Indie Worldwide, you also get access to that, which tends right. to pay for itself um, right away. Yeah, I was talking mm -hmm. to a guy who signed up, um, got the Stripe credits and saved, I don't know, like four times the ticket price in the first month because he was spending $400 a month with Stripe. How does that make makes you feel when you see that people are saving so much money? Do you think, okay, I should charge more? Or do you think, okay, this is cool. I have a product that makes sense, you know, brings value to people. Yeah, both those things. One, okay, cool. It's a clear value win. Um, I need to improve my marketing to make it that clear. And then two, um, I can charge more. Because if people are making their money back in month one, then the deal is maybe too good. <laughs> When you gave the possibility to people to pay, did everyone join? Like, not not everyone, obviously, but how many people actually joined? Was um, it more than your expectation? Maybe like half a dozen paid me something. Okay. Um, Which is not a lot, right? No, I think like of the people who had signed up for free uh, from the community, so maybe so maybe like I don't know, like five or six percent or ten percent, depending on how many people were signed up at that moment. 
um, nothing crazy, but the fact that people were voluntarily paying for something that yeah. they had gotten for free already, I felt like it was a very good sign that yeah. at least um, among a certain people, there was something like a product market fit. Um, yeah, that I, I definitely. these people really found it valuable. And I, I find it also because with with the podcast, I started like this. I, it's for free, no ads, but then people can buy me a coffee. Uh, <laughs> and I found that people normally don't want to pay for something that is already free. Um, it, there were a couple of people that paid and I thought, okay, this is amazing. But <laughs> still, like most of the people won't pay because it's free. Like, I mean, why would they pay for something that is already free? So that's why I came up with the idea of the community that is just then paid and I guess for you with the Founders Club, what what is did your conversion to Founders Club decreased once it became paid? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, did our conversion rates are difficult to measure because for a long time it it was many people didn't even realize we had this Founders Club thing, right? Hmm. Like they were subscribed to the email list. I mostly was talking about it in the Slack. They didn't even know it was a thing. So every time I tell the email list about it, um, there's a boost in signups. Um, until you've heard about it already a few times, then it kind of levels off. Yeah. Of so a major pipeline problem that I've been working on this week to fix, actually. So now when you sign up uh, to any worldwide free Slack, it's a lot harder to miss the fact that there's also a pay tier. Where before, you could definitely miss it for forever. Yeah, definitely. When, when you even gave me the... Um... The invite to join the Slack, I didn't know that there was uh, these other op options, <laughs> you yeah. know, paid options. So is it lucrative so far? Like, uh, are you able to make a, a salary out of it? No, nah, not quite. So in the last year, Founders Club has made $7,600, so almost $8,000. Okay. Um, Indie Worldwide as a whole has made maybe like $12,000. Uh, not quite there yet. We're going to change it this uh, next year, though. It's kind of hit a, a point where I just kind of got to like push it over the hill, I think. Do, do you feel that? Do you feel that now you kind of are losing control in the good way and it's growing, uh, even, you know, passively growing? Mm. It's still definitely a push for most things, not a pull. Okay. There's a couple things. There's been a couple times where it's felt like a pull. Um so, like, pull-push analogy is when you're trying to find product market fit, for a long time it feels like you're pushing a boulder up a hill, then mm -hmm. eventually you find product market fit at the top of the hill and the boulder rolls back to down the other side and right. you can stop yeah. it if you wanted. Still pushing a boulder up a hill. Mm -hmm. The only exception was when we did the 100 to 100 uh, challenge, uh, like, eight months ago. And the concept of that was get 100 pay new paid user users in uh, 100 days. Um, that challenge was was really popular, and we need to do round two. But who started this challenge? Was it you, or you just joined? Uh, I started it, yeah. So, oh. cool. 100100.co. Mm -hmm. The concept was started in the community. I was like, hey, would anybody want to do this? A few people raised their hands. Um, I kind of forgot about it for a month, and then people started messaging me like, hey, is this thing going to start? <laughs> that sounded good. <laughs> that was the poll. And so... And I was like, all right, yeah, there's actually demand for this. Started marketing it and prototyping it at the same time, right. basically, and launched it a week later um, and got a bunch of people to sign up. Well, how does it work? What What does the product do? 
So you sign up for this challenge. It's like mm -hmm. a public accountability challenge. There is an online leaderboard where everybody can see their uh, ranking. Um, the leaderboard's opt-in. You can also do it anonymously. Mm -hmm. And then um, join a optional like weekly mastermind. Uh, once a week, you submit like an update for uh, your business, um, previously validated with Stripe screenshots. I will try to do like an actual integration this next time. Ah, and so, yeah, basically every week you're competing with everybody, but also supporting each other um, and trying to grow. It's really cool. And it's a really cool well. idea. I think we had like something like 500-ish people signed up. Whoa. And about a dozen got to 100 or close enough. Not bad, actually. It's really good. And do people win something if they are the first one? Yeah, they, they won um, gift cards. Won like 100 bucks. Oh. Um, not everybody's claimed their gift cards though. So if you've won and you haven't got a gift card, if you're like top, I think it was like top five, um, hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll get a lot of messages. I was slow to hand them out, so that's kind of on me. A lot of people now yeah. start messaging. Yeah, it's me. It's me. But I got it. <laughs> I definitely have at this point messaged everybody that should have won okay. a gift card to offer them one. Cool. I mean, that's that's a great idea. I really, yeah. really enjoyed it. I think the prize was not actually that motivating for people. If I do it again, it'll either be to incentivize submissions, so like a mm -hmm. random gift, random awards to anybody who submits every every week, um, or something more creative than uh, just a gift card. I think. And also, I wasn't even going to offer prizes at all. But um, the competition is the price, right? Like, I mean, the, the community. Yeah, exactly. But a couple people decided they wanted to offer prizes. <laughs> so, like, hey, can I send you money and then use this money to like give prizes to people? I was what? Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But as a sponsor? No. <laughs> they just were what? like, hey, I want to chip in. It's so funny. Why would people. This is do the it? power of like a community people actually want to be a part of. It's yeah. like. Uh, when you build things together, then everybody wants to participate, you know? It's like 100-100 again, yeah. free. I didn't charge people to join it. Um, we sh show up, I like basically built it live the same week as I was also working on launching it. So it's just like an exciting thing to be a part of. And, it, you know, the, the cool thing also about the communities is that it's very passive somehow. If you build a good community, then you, as the host... At some point, you don't have to do almost anything because the community, people are so engaged. I mean, you just have to maintain it, you know, make sure that everything is going smoothly. But it's funny because now I have like an automation every time someone joins the Slack and mm -hmm. uh, they have to introduce yourself. It's like the same as, as, in, uh, as Indie Worldwide. And um, I woke up one day, there, were, there was one new member and normally always try to, you know, also give a personal welcome. And mm -hmm. I check out, there was already five messages from the members saying like, welcome, oh, it's so awesome. nice to, and you're like, wow, so cool. I mean, this is happening. Yes. And I, I was asleep and I, you know, th there's already value being created even when I'm asleep <laughs> kind of thing. And I think that's, that's the beauty when you, you are able to build a community that it's engaged, you know, and uh, I, I built one before for one other project that died completely. Mm -hmm. No one was doing anything. Um, what what are your tips to actually build a community within people that actually engage and want to contribute rather than just spam their uh, products? Yeah, that's definitely the the moment you're looking for as a community builder when there's like a conversation between three or four different people that's like twenty comments deep and you had nothing to do with it. Yeah, um, 
that's where you're like, oh, okay, cool. It's actually alive. Because for a long time, uh, often you're building a community, f and for a while you're just kind of talking to yourself, or it's just like you talking to people that join. It's pretty tricky, actually, to get people to talk to each other. Um, it requires some like pushing and hand-holding at the beginning, and curation especially. Y you right. can to get a lot of work done up front by curating that community very carefully, which sounds like you did by... Basically, you interviewed everybody before they joined on your podcast, right? Like, yeah, in the beginning, that, yes. and then you also uh, uh, now you require people to pay to join. Yeah, which also that, helps a that lot. was a difference. That was a huge difference because the first paying members joining, I kind of sold the community to them on Twitter, and they are super engaged, like super super mm -hmm. engaged. So, and and I recently I also tried out with with trials where people could just join for free for fifteen days. And I immediately stopped it because people would just join and do nothing. Like mm -hmm. complete ghosts. You know, it was very creepy, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and sometimes I also be part of, uh, of other communities, uh, especially on Discord, where people are just, you know, spamming. So they get in and like, hey, here's my product. And they leave. Um, so why don't you make the Slack community also uh, a paid community? I probably will do in the coming months. So these were a couple of things I just like didn't realize or, or at the time that I would probably have done differently if I was starting from scratch. Uh, by having it free, you're gonna get a lot of lurkers and people who aren't immediately engaged and things like mm -hmm. that. Just, your job becomes harder. Uh, you can definitely make it work the free community, and I'd say like a lot of our growth has come from free, and I've met people doing interesting things I might not have otherwise because it was free. Mm -hmm. Um, but it then it requires you to like sort people later, like figure out who's actually going to engage. And do you kick people out? So far, that's been rare, and it's been for like violations of the community standards or like spamming too much. Um, outside of like, we have a couple channels dedicated to like this is where you can post your own stuff. Right. Like you can you can if you're launching something new, you can post about it in hashtag launch alert. Mm -hmm. um, if you won't really want to share your Twitter or whatever, there's a channel where you can do that. And if you do it outside of those channels too much, I'll kick you out. Um, and or if you're like starting shit, if you're like starting arguments um, that aren't productive, like an argument about um, politics, like the <laughs> vaccines. <laughs> yeah, anything off topic, but more like um, name calling, I guess, would be more more common. Like mm. ad hominem attacks versus a. Right. Uh, actual discussion of an idea that'll get mm -hmm. you kicked out as well. Honestly, it doesn't happen that often. I think I've had to mm -hmm. remove like two or three people for one thing or the other, mm -hmm. even though it's a pretty big community. It's honestly been pretty um, clear. More often, if you post, um, if you like post spam or post something not relevant to the channel, I'll just delete it and message you and tell you why. And people are usually pretty receptive right, about right. taking feedback. Yeah. And then if if I have to tell you twice, then you're out, <laughs> basically. <laughs> No, it, it's something that somehow also scares me, like how to grow a community. And definitely spam is something that uh, it's probably a, a problem. But what scares me the most is actually people becoming inactive. Uh, so that they yeah. use it for a couple of months and then suddenly become inactive, which means probably they will uh, stop paying because it's not bringing value to them. How to reactivate these members It's something that I really don't know how to do and especially as it grows people don't feel that it's this cozy you know because now people them ah, this is cozy i like it but you know if it gets super big people then maybe are not um 
as uh, you know they don't want to share as much and uh, they become a bit shy and then they kind of you know die <laughs> for the community yeah i have thoughts about that first off like one of the reasons i keep around a channel like launch alert and share your social media is it gives people selfish reason reason to come back to the right. stack mm-hmm. like maybe they went a little dormant but they're like oh i have a low launch i should post about it in a worldwide and get some feedback it's a reason for people to come back and then um easier to loop them into discussions and then the other thing is like it's all about like one-on-one connections and bringing people into like relevant conversations so now one of the big things i've started doing this even just this last couple months that have done an immediate had an immediate effect is whenever somebody introduces themselves in the slack now i immediately try to find them matches yeah. like tag a couple other right. people yeah basically what founders club is but right there yeah i've seen um, that yeah that was nice yeah and you post in any channel i'm trying to find the right person for you mm-hmm. to talk to which is something we can do because of um having data on people through like founders club and 100 100 and and having a big slack where people, a lot of people have introduced themselves so it's easy mm-hmm. for me to like control f for somebody that'd be relevant yeah that, that but, works yeah. it all comes from the same place like founders club doing these introductions in the slack core metric is people making friends with each other right um so anything that encourages that is probably a good way to build your community yeah definitely definitely and it's pretty active uh, even now during the the holidays i just check out indie worldwide and there was still a lot of messages coming and um in the, in, yeah in my community it's kind of dormant now because people are all on holiday so it's it's really nice to to see that um of course that being free it's always a little bit more trickier and that's what i found out so but it's still quite quite good and i think you're doing an awesome job w- what are your challenges the things that keep you keeps you up at night so conversion rates from the landing page um having a a more sustainable business model where revenue can be predictable month to month. Um, keeping engagement up for sure, but also sustainable. So like I've only got so much energy every day. And also I tend to be like a sprinter in many ways, not a, a marathon or like mm-hmm. um, I want to do a lot in a short time period and then kind of cool off. Mm-hmm. And a community really needs some consistent level of energy put into it. Um, if I look at the graph of like indie worldwide growing kind of grows and fits and spurts and then kind of like cools off and I can clearly map that to when I was, had the most energy to put into it. Mm -hmm. Um, so my goal now is to put those sprints towards, um, sustainable growth and figuring out things that I can do once and have them keep working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. How do you deal with when things don't go your way and you don't see the growth you're you're expecting? Um, I've always I've always tried to keep a pace with Indie Worldwide where I can do it forever. Um, so, like for a while, that's like one event a month, and that's all we do. And I but I can commit to that forever, um, and that's right. how I think we've stuck around for like three years is because I mm-hmm. haven't tried to overdo it. Um, I'm probably going to try to overdo it these next few months and see where how far I can get with it. Yeah. Now that, um, for a long time, I just didn't it didn't know what it wanted to be necessarily, you know. Now it's got a more clear mission, right. which is to help more um, founders bootstrap startups to like 10,000 MRR and then help them scale from there. 
yeah. uh, which is still like not as specific as it should be for a mission. So we're still narrowing in on it, but that's a lot mm-hmm. closer than before, where it's just like anybody who's kind of working on a thing can join. No, and it's great to have a, have a mission. It it helps you also to define what new features and ideas fit in that mission and which one mm-hmm. don't. Makes a little sense. Thank you, Anthony, so much for this chat. It was really a pleasure to learn more about Indie Worldwide and about yourself. And Thank you, Tiago. Do you want to leave uh, any last message here uh, for you? Um, for other bootstrappers, people joining, like any advice you'd give them? It can be a long path, right? It's more fun with friends. So find your people and you'll go a lot farther. It's, and, yeah. you know, great place to do that. <laughs> Indie Worldwide. Indieworldwide.co.co, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everything will be linked in the description. I will, um, I guess I'll link your Twitter profile and uh, the Indie Worldwide um, website cool. in the show notes. So for the listeners, you can just go there and check it out. And uh, you can join the Slack for free, at least, at least for now. <laughs> so be quick. Yeah, Anthony, thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Have a great one. And this was the interview with Anthony. I hope you learned as much as I did. If you like this kind of content and want to hear from other entrepreneurs, other interviews, other bootstrapping related episodes, you can just go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com and all the information will be there. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by buying me a coffee or you can also become a WBE member, a wannabe entrepreneur member. If you do, you'll get access to a bunch of extra perks, including the access to our virtual co-working space for bootstrappers, a place where we all hang out and help each other build our products. All this information will be in the show notes, so make sure to check that out. And uh, this was another wannabe entrepreneur. Happy New Year.